Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Unspoken Issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to... Another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. Oh my goodness, October is here. And Dean Compton. We're talking about Resident Evil tonight. One of the greatest video game franchises of all time. One of Capcom's biggest successes. And honestly, one of the best uh, zombie franchises of all time, in my opinion. There was. It's weird to think that like in the 90s, there wasn't a ton of zombie stuff floating around. That, like, you know, in our age, since, like, you know, basically since uh, The Walking Dead started getting published and there was the Dawn of the Dead uh, remake in, like, 2003, I want to say, maybe 2004. You know, before, you know, since then, we've had a lot of zombie stuff, the 28 Days Later stuff, World War Z, etc. But, like, in the 90s, there was a dearth of this stuff. And Resident Evil did more than uh, bridge the gap. Not only not only did it bridge the gap, it just cemented the whole goddamn river so you could just run over any part of it that you want. Resident Evil, you know, the first three games, I loved them, played them back in the day. I didn't know this magazine was a thing back in the day or I'd have been getting it. But, you know, as far as spooky stuff, you can't go wrong with Resident Evil. Biohazard, as they call it in Japan. We got the better end of this deal, though. What do you think, Gary Wait, I had no idea these existed, but I was very excited when you suggested them because they are from Wildstorm, and I am a Wildstorm mark. Anything from that company, pre- or post-purchased by DC, I'm on board for, and I hadn't read these, so I was very excited. Uh, I have never played a Resident Evil game. I mean, I've played it maybe a couple of times here or there if someone's passed me a controller, but you know, not not the way I have other franchises. So I, I had no idea. It's not like you were at a concert and somebody's passing you a joint. Like you, I, you know, you're, you're, you're like, these I was things... just standing around and somebody just handed me a PlayStation controller. All of a sudden, <laughs> I'm shooting tyrant. But like back in the day, you know, you'd sure, sit, sure, in a, no, you'd sit in a basement. Someone right. would be like, oh, no, it's my turn to pick something. I'm putting in Resident Evil. And then, you know, it's like, oh, cool, I'm shooting zombies. Yeah, give, give me the controller. And then you play it. But, you know, I, I didn't know all the characters' names and things like that. Yeah, the, these were definitely a product of their time. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I mean, it's funny to watch these comics and then think about the way things would evolve. I mean, if you think about it, like these are taking the source material pretty seriously. And this is a brand new franchise. So it's really interesting to see comics and video games overlap when you know neither was being taken very seriously but they soon would you know the, this is one of the playstation launch titles so this was you know just right on the cusp of things being a big deal and yeah to your point i mean i feel like resident evil is now a household name so this was like an interesting just before the cusp and i i enjoyed it more than i thought i was going to 
96 uh, was when I think when this released, right? Uh, the game released. I know 96 is when the comic released, so I'm pretty sure that the, the uh, game is happening the right Marvel around this time as well. The Marvel comic dropped in. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the Marvel comic dropped in 96. The, uh, the Wildstorm stuff is from 98 when Resident Evil 2 is dropping. Yeah, I, it's 1996. At the time, I'm four years into a relationship with my soon-to-be wife. And she's coming I over. You were it's, say your PlayStation or something. I also I thought you were going to say like a four years your PlayStation yeah. with the OGO <laughs> or something. Like that. Okay. I, I share that because I remember her being there with me. Right. Uh, where it, no, that's awesome. it's an awesome story. Yeah, lights I mean, are out. Started anyway. I know you haven't completed the story. <laughs> lights are out. I'm sure you know. My parents are probably like, "Oh, Jesse's got the lights off again, and he's in there with his girlfriend." Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, what I'm doing. Is we have got the <laughs> the console TV is the only light in the room, and Resident Evil is on, and we are playing it. And I tell you, man, I think I had that going through a surround sound system at the time, just because I wanted to, you know, I want to feel what I want to get scared, and it was frightening. And, and congratulations, you did. What's <laughs> a good game? I remember sitting there playing it, going, "Wow, they have really done something with this." And you're right, Dean. This is probably responsible for a lot of people being inspired by the whole zombie genre of films and, and uh, games. I mean, this is your survival horror beginning. It's important to note that like Resident Evil changed like video games, obviously. Like there was really not a lot like this. Uh, my little sister, who was probably too young to be watching me play Resident Evil 2, but there she was, because that's the first one I played. I bought Resident Evil 2 in 1998 when we went to visit Arkansas State because they had a fucking Babbage's there, baby. I went to Babbage's and got this. When I went back that night, got, got back home, playing it, Angel's watching. She's like, why aren't you killing these zombies? I'm like, I, I, I don't have the ammo. And this is one of the first games I can remember playing where, uh, it, you know, that involves zombies or horse stuff, or it just, like, blast everything. I'm like, my goal isn't necessarily to kill all the zombies. My goal is to stay alive. Right. And that right. and that stuck with her forever. She became a you know, huge horror fan from that. That was just not something we really did and saw in video games a lot before then. I'm sure there are a couple. You know, I love video games, but I don't know everything about them. Uh, and, and if somebody knows, you know, one that I'm missing, you know, put that in the comments. It just changed how you would think about it. Obviously, very inspired by the George Romero zombies, where, you know, there's a lot of corporate and governmental subterfuge. I, I can't describe, like, like the impact it had on me, like you're saying, playing it with the lights off. And you open a fucking door, and your whole point of view changes. And now there's a zombie right in front of you that you couldn't have fucking right. seen. The doors are scary. The music's scary. There's always... Remember the first time you see, like, the spiders in Resident Evil 2? Oh, yeah. You see them on the wall, because you're, like, you're looking, and you can see, like, them around the corner from your point of view, because it's a weird game how that works. And you're like, that spider looks too real. I don't like it. So I shot it. Well, so tonight, yeah, we're going to start out with the 96 uh, Marvel comic first. One kind of, I got a real brief synopsis on this. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, we'll talk about uh, a few of the issues in the 98 uh, Wildstorm as well. As something of note here for the 96 uh, Marvel issue, we got a Bill Sienkiewicz. This cover of this comic is the cover of the game as well. And this is Bill Sienkiewicz doing the doing the cover here uh which is pretty interesting there is a lot here in, when it comes to the creative team so i'm just going to run these down here this is this was at the end of the issue it had me all thrown for a loop this is at the end of the issue i finally found the box so plot of this is by desmond church 
and Chris Kramer. Script by Dan Shaheen, Chris Kramer, and Simone, I want to go with Sado, S-E-Y-D-O-U-X. What do you say, Derry? How do you say that? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't recognize any of these names when I was going through it. I was shocked. I was like, okay, this is a licensing book. Marvel is either about to declare bankruptcy or has already declared bankruptcy. Right. So God only knows if anyone even edited this before it hit the the printing press. Uh, but I recognize none of these names. So I, I, I argue the opposite that like it probably actually got taken care of because it was uh, it was a sold book. They weren't trying to sell it. They, you know, I mean, they didn't have to put it out on shelves. And open. Oh, that's this was you know, free, right? Yeah, right, yeah. This is right. a pack-in book, yep. so I take put it on under their special project. So, and you, and no, you're not usually going to find anybody who did anything there. But I bet they paid attention to it because they had the money for it. <laughs> they, you know, what I mean, no, that's uh, a good point. Like, that's uh, good point. In 2001, ECW's last two shows were paid shows. They've been paid beforehand, and if they hadn't been, if they were shows that ECW was just running, they would not have ran. Uh, Art and Color design by Dave Johnson, lettered by Ed Hendricks, interior colors by Moose Bauman, cover art by Bill Sienkiewicz, and edited edited by Mark Panizia. That's what I want to go with there, or Panizia. All right, here we go. Synopsis time. Richard Aiken, a member of the Stars Bravo team, Stars Special Tactics and Rescue Squad team, has survived a helicopter crash. The rest of his team, at least he thinks, has been indisposed by some unspeakable horrors. He's he's on the run and he's trying to find some shelter and he finds a nearby mansion. Uh, he desperately tries to reach Stars HQ, but soon learns his radio has been damaged. Meanwhile, Albert Wesker realizes the Bravo team is in danger. Now, I say realizes because what we find out is Mr. Wesker purposely did this, although I don't think he was expecting them to crash. I think he was just expecting to delay them. But anyway, Wesker assembles the stars alpha team to go send them in to rescue the bravo team and here's the alpha team all right we got barry burton weapons expert and oldest member of stars dedicated worker and family man this is straight out of the book ladies and gentlemen then we have chris redfield former air force pilot dismissed for insubordination a renegade but a great thinker and expert marksman Barry gave him a chance with the team and hasn't regretted it for a minute. It's funny that like they they boil down insubordination there because he he got he got discharged from the Air Force because he rescued someone on a secret mission and they were like, uh, the guy's expendable. Right. <laughs> you know, right. he's like, No, I'm not doing that. So insubordinate. It's not like he just like, you know, kicked some general in the nuts or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Then we've got Joseph Frost, vehicle specialist, young, curious, and very enthusiastic, newest member of the team. Then Brad Vickers, nicknamed Chicken Heart. What a what a great nickname. <laughs> <laughs> nicknamed Chicken Heart by his peers, takes a lot of heat from the team for his timid attitude toward danger. Hell of a pilot, though. And then we have Jill Valentine, demolitions expert, key member of the team, and a woman with a strong will. So there you go. Will the rescue team be too late in getting to our good buddy Richard Aiken? Well, to be continued in Resident Evil, the game. <laughs> there you go. That is uh, that is my very truncated synopsis of our very our one shot here. This is one yeah. shot. It's been totally free too, if I remember correctly. Was this? I think it's. It, uh, I don't know where they gave it away. I think they gave it away like video game stores, or it might have been a pack in title. But you like, beat me you to know, it, yeah. Obviously, if you ask me, this does what it's supposed to do. You, I like I read this and I wanted to play Resident Evil. That's exactly what they wanted you to get. You know, like it doesn't explain much. It doesn't do anything. Some cool stuff happens. That motherfucker gets eaten by the snake and stuff. But like, right? 
Um, and you're introduced to all the main characters. And uh, Jill and Chris are the ones I believe you can play as in the game. I I don't think you can play as anybody. You might have been able to on another, uh, you know, another thing. But I also, like, I know some Resident Evil lore, but not as much. But off the top of my head, I know who Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine are. They are awesome. Jill Valentine, one of my favorite characters of all time. Very much in that uh, that Ripley vein. You know, really takes <laughs> care of, is not scared to get her hands dirty to take care of something dirtier. And is also never seems to be too intimidated, never seems to be too um, uh, out of her elements. Uh, when it comes to fighting things that, you know, are utterly unnatural. But you should expect that in Raccoon City. You can't name your city Raccoon City and expect everything to be cool. <laughs> I I mean, what an I interesting... Mean, I like raccoons, but I would not like a city of them. It does just kind of throw you into it. Like, they just kind of describe the helicopter crash, and this guy is just, like, in the mansion fighting for his life, trying to figure out what is going on. A lot of that stuff you'll run into in the game. Yeah, I think I remember actually actually seeing like don't they show like the the helicopter crash as part of the game okay yeah a lot of this stuff like and a lot of the deaths that are like alluded to like you kind of find out about in the game so i mean it's a tough rope to walk you got to write something that'll make people excited to play it but you can't write to you can't do something that will spoil it and i think they pulled it off i think it's you know you know great cover and just like i said it does what what you want it to do which is make you know make you ready to play some of capcom's finest video game work yeah i i I like the idea that this focused very heavily on the conspiracy aspect to it where it was like yeah you're you're gonna fight zombies but there's a reason you are fighting zombies and it's a bit more complicated than uh you're gonna learn until presumably you beat the end of the game again i have not played the first resident evil so i i got to the end of this and i was like oh man i wonder what is going to happen that because it did its job yeah, exactly. It it absolutely did its job. And I, I could see if uh, if someone handed this to me in 1996, which, again, I'm surprised they didn't, uh, I would have been like, oh, man, I, I actually need to get this game. I need to find out uh, who's doing what and for what reason. Uh, but I will say I had one question, and this was a question that continued into the Wildstorm issues, which was, do we know why? Like, you do a test, you find out that your virus turns people into zombies, you keep going like do, do we know what the reason for that is like are they stronger are they faster when you think of evil corporations Waylon yutani yeah umbrella i mean umbrella's up there okay and that's the only reason why i could think they want to do this because they're just fucking evil i can't remember exactly but i think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about it's about like uh i don't want to say anything that's too wrong but so does anybody feel free to correct me because the game sprawls out like i said i after Code Veronica, I haven't played a lot of it, and I didn't beat Code Veronica. I played it like four or five times. There's a Dreamcast exclusive then, and I didn't have one. I think it has to do with everything from making people faster to like the swamp thing, bio regenerative stuff. We're gonna, you know, like we can we can genetically engineer people to, you know, regrow limbs. They can, you know, be faster, stronger. Maybe they'll never die, etc. And there may be more behind it than that, but I just think that that was Umbrella as a corporation, how they would make money. Why they keep going when, like, the T-virus, all they can figure out how to do with it is make zombies, and then, like, the G-virus is, like, even worse, and I don't know. There's probably more to it than that that, are, that a super hardcore Resident Evil fan uh, could be able to tell you, but from my standpoint, it's just corporations being corporations, you know, I mean, hey, how are we going to make money off this? And also, let's not tell anybody that it's going badly, right. particularly if it's going to affect the environment in any, in any way, shape, or form. 
stuff. There's that's, a, that's, that's my thing. I know that may be too simple. That doesn't explain, like, also why they become, like, goddamn Spectre from James Bond, where they have, like, bases and, like, super... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. For, you know, agents and stuff all over, but that's yeah. the best I could come up with. There's a reference later on. Again, I'm skipping ahead to the Wildstorm issues, but you see the log of a doctor and he talks about how, like, we are doing cancer research. Like, Umbrella is not an evil name. You know, they're not working right. for... They're not working for the malicious corporation. Like, hey, come work at Umbrella. Uh, we 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 are not government funded. We're a private organization. We'll give you unlimited money. We want to cure cancer. We want to cure as many cancers as we can in our lifetime. Fine, great. You attract all this altruistic talent. And one thing I found really interesting was the villains that I'm familiar with just through like cultural osmosis and reading this thing, they're all huge. They're all big. They're all basically living tumors. So I really did like that idea of like a corporation discovers that they couldn't cure cancer, but they can control it and weaponize it and figure out how to make these awful giant creatures that will continue long after their brain functions have ceased. And to your point, they're like, Hey, this might be incredibly valuable to one or more governments in the future. We're going to keep developing it and just see if we can get immunity later on. So I'm I'm with you. Like, evil corporations be evil. But I did like the idea of, like, hey, we tried to cure cancer. We actually perfected it. <laughs> now we're going to try to make it into a gun. So that, that is my rough headcanon being very much the, the filthy casual of a group. But I think also corporations, big pharma in, like, our real lives, they have literally said curing cancer – I mean, it's not like they're against it, but what they want to make cancer is almost a literal quote in like a chronic manageable disease. And that's really what Umbrella was going for. Like you said, they wanted they, they learned to control it. And so honestly, uh, Umbrella is not too far from a lot of the corporations we have in this, in, you know, here in the real world. Yeah, that's a scary thought. This fucking mansion, man, like <laughs> this. He goes into this mansion you know, of course, you, there's just uh, around every corner, just like the game. Uh, there's like poison gas getting released. Yeah. You know, it, it's, Do you it's see any bad plant. I don't remember if he does or not. I don't know. I don't think he I don't think yeah. he runs into but anything like there. that. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it is. It is bad news all around. But yeah, it, this is a very quick. I mean, the issue is very, very quick. I mean, you yeah. are done with this issue within probably five minutes. But again, it just sets everything up. And it uh, be because like if you got this given to you at the same time you got the game, you don't want to be like, here is the Arkham Asylum of Resident Evil. It is lettered terribly. And it's yeah. a psychosexual relationship between Tyrant and Christian. Yeah, no, you got to let's play the game. <laughs> it does have a Sienkiewicz cover and Sienkiewicz and uh, David McKean occupy the same space in my head. So <laughs> when you look at this cover, it's it is pretty frightening. Uh, some guy was like really picking apart the gun that this dude is holding on the front cover. And it's like a mishmash of like five different guns. Like there's, uh, you know, what looks to be an automatic uh, rifle butt and then a shotgun at the end. And 
looking at if you start picking everything apart that's on there, like this dude's backed into a corner and what looks like tarantulas on each side of him. It does not look fun. They're gigantic spiders, big claw shadows coming at him. Don't I don't blame him for looking for looking a little frightened and uh, looking like Henry Rollins has been up a few too many days. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Henry Rollins always looks like he's been up a, a few days. Yeah, but this always. time he's like he's been up too many days for Henry Rollins. For <laughs> Richard, you guys Anthony. like Sinkevich? I get into fights all the time. I, I don't like Sinkevich. I think he's overrated. I don't hate him. I, I, I you no, know, what? I, I'm not hate, not hate. I just mean like okay, I'm, I'm lukewarm. Okay, okay. <laughs> someone who was the right age when new mutants came out and they think he's the greatest artist that has ever existed and i'm just like it's stupid i don't get it and whenever i see his name on something i'm like i might skip this <laughs> i i like him a lot I okay think, uh, right. I, I think that what he does is brilliant i also think that you can tell like if you go back and look at his shit before he, you know, developed the style that he got before the uh, the demon bear stuff on New Mutants, uh, you look at his Moon Knight and stuff. He had an incredible grasp of how things should work. Yeah. When he breaks these rules, you can actually tell how he's reinforcing them if you look carefully enough. I find personally, I like him better as a cover guy or as a like. I like his Cable card in the first Fleer Ultra X Men uh, card line. I like this cover. It's hard for me sometimes to read stuff like. Electra Assassin. It's supposed to challenge you, and I respect that. Sometimes I don't really want to be challenged as much. I just want a ninja to, like, kick a guy in the jaw. And uh, to be fair, you know, they wanted more, and I, and I respect that. So I think what I really like more is his avant-garde interpretation on pinups and posters more necessarily than the story than uh, storytelling, which I'm not saying he's bad at. But ultimately, because of my vertigo, I get about halfway through one of them. Or Arkham Asylum with Dave McKean, like you said, and I have a headache. So two things real quick, and we'll get back to Resident Evil. One, I agree. Uh, my, my commentary on uh, Sienkiewicz is not that he does not understand the form. He clearly does, because you're right. That early Moon Knight stuff is amazing. And I'm not even all that big of a Moon Knight fan, but he, he understands the fundamentals. He is a very good artist. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that when he decides to go a little bit more avant-garde with it, my eyes glaze over. Um, but that's, you know, again, that's, that's just a personal taste. Dave McKean, on the other hand, is the most overrated person to ever work in comics. I cannot believe he was given a Graham Morrison script or a Neil Gaiman script or whatever it was he did on Sandman. Because I just, I don't get it. I, I just wish all of that stuff could be redrawn by a young Brian Boland. I, I just, like, it blows me away that this guy was ever popular in, in mainstream comics. because I. There's nothing there for me. I wish I knew how you really felt. You just hold back. I know. I know. I I, I, I feel bad, but I just. Blood pressure. You're going to wind up like goddamn Fred <laughs> Flintstone. <laughs> this is you the thing with me. me I'm, about Dave I'm such a Grant Morrison fan, but every time I go back to Arkham Asylum, I'm like, can someone redraw that? Chris Burnham is around. Can Chris Burnham redraw this? Give him the original scripts. I will. I will gladly rebuy Arkham Asylum. Per issue, if if Chris Burnham can redraw it, I also have a problem with the lettering in that book. Impossible to read it. Impossible to read it. And I'm not interested. Um, the thing I was going to say about Resident Evil, though, um, and this this book, and you'll see this all through the Wildstorm books too. But this book starts, and people are like, "Oh, Resident Evil, that's a zombie thing." It's really more of a sci-fi horror thing. There's like robo sharks and giant crocodiles, these big snakes, liquors, big tarantulas, 
hunters, the tyrant, Mr. X, Nemesis. There's a lot more than just zombies here. And I mean, obviously the zombies, that's who you fight 97% of the time. But I really appreciate their willingness to delve into um, uh, some of the fun monster stuff. Like, yes, it's giant crocodile in, in the sewers is silly, but you get to shoot an oxygen tank in its mouth. That's awesome. So I really appreciate that they weren't just like, oh, here's a bunch of zombies. They're like, how can we up the ante? How can we make some of this grosser, more exciting? What other impediments would there be? So I really like that about both. Obviously, the games, but the comics get that across, too. Yeah. And when you're talking about gross, this issue that we just got from Marvel Comics and Capcom is pretty tame compared to what you see actually in the game and what we're about to get from Wildstorm. Wildstorm is about to really amp up the gore a couple years later with our 1998 series. So I got a quick question. So just for a little bit of context, in 1996, Marvel hands over a couple of their books to Wildstorm. They hand over uh, for Heroes Reborn, they hand over Fantastic Four and I think Iron Man. And suddenly the Resident Evil license is across the street a couple of years later. Do we know what the relationship was there? Why Capcom switched companies? Did Jim Lee say like, oh, I can handle this. Don't worry about it. Did anyone have any idea? I assume uh, this is an assumption. So if I'm wrong, anybody can let me know. If you look at the dates, the earliest Resident Evil, I think it, I can't remember it, but it's, it's like March of like 98, I want to say. And that's what the uh, insignia was. So they would have started working on this in 97. That was a time when Jim Lee comic books weren't bringing in the money like uh, they had been for Wildstorm. And he had a huge crew that he had amassed during a time when, you know, the pastures were greener. And so they started looking for a lot of different things to be able to do to keep those guys paid, keep them on staff, etc. And it would appear to me like early on, this isn't a DC thing. Like if you look at the insignia, DC is not mentioned. The last few issues, they are because the sale has transpired and everything. So I would assume that this, uh, based on what, you know, guys who worked at Wildstorm were saying, this was one of those things. They found a way to get this going. I don't think Marvel would have been interested in publishing an ongoing Resident Evil anyway at this time. That company was in a bit more disarray. Wildstorm, right there in you know, right there in L.A., where the Capcom headquarters of USA, I believe, are too. They might be in San Diego, but easy to deal with. You're going to have Jim Lee, you know, who even if even if you're just a a casual person at that time, you knew who Jim Lee was in regard to comic books. He's going to be involved, so I think he just went out and got this so that you know they would have work to do. I think I think that that was the right move. I don't think that this would have worked nearly as well at Marvel. And I love Jim Lee's contributions when it does come around. So that's that's all that I think happened. You know, it's just this was the time when they're going out and looking for they're looking for work. Capcom's about you know uh, ninety eight February ninety eight when I buy Resident Evil two. So they want that to show up with a bang. And, right. You know, there 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 are worse ways to get a bang than have Jim Lee draw the cover of a of a magazine. That's another thing to note about the Wildstorm stuff. It is magazine sized. When they say it's right. a comic book magazine, they mean that, you know, literally. It doesn't fit on, like, a regular spinner rack or what. Which may have also contributed to its downfall at that time. Let's go ahead. We'll get into the 1998 Resident Evil series from Wildstorm. Just like Dean said, this is magazine format. This is kind of like an anthology-type series where we get some different stories that surround our players here in the Resident Evil universe. And, Dean, you know, you said first two, maybe three, right? Issues is what we're going to talk about here because there's a total of five, right? Yeah, so the first two, yeah, you know, I mean, uh, they sum things up pretty nicely there. If anybody wants to know what happens in the others, it's basically, um, uh, 
uh, zombies on a plane, then, you know, uh, European vacation zombies. <laughs> the others are just like really sad stories where some people do some really cool shit and then Umbrella kills them. Oh, and the werewolf story where they're like, I can't believe, like, there's all of a sudden oh. a werewolf in one of these things. Yeah. So, that's... So I don't think they're bad or anything, but if this was going to go on further, these would have done a great job of furthering the brand and the characters. But since it ends so quickly, I think most people are just interested in the meat and potatoes. Did they get the did they get the stories we had at the time right? Because this this uh, magazine ends about the time ninety nine uh, Resident Evil three would have been coming out. All right, so here we go. Here we go. First issue. First story is called Stars Files, and this is where Wesker. We find out Wesker's actually working for Umbrella. Is Wesker being sent into Raccoon City? Is that what's going on? Or is he trying to make get somebody into Raccoon City? Is that I believe he's there because he is the main antagonist of like the game one. He's working there. We go. He has infiltrated stars, but he really works for Umbrella because Umbrella is a terrible, evil corporation. And so they want to, you know, dissuade the cops and the Raccoon City government. Can I ask a quick question? What is STARS? Is it a federal organization? Like, it doesn't... It, it, no, is, it belongs isn't... to Raccoon City. It belongs to the Raccoon City Police. The okay. RCPD. It's basically their SWAT team, but it's like... Uh, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. Because the way they were wording certain things, it made it seem like STARS is... Again, I, I said this to you guys before we started recording, but to me it was like, G.I. Joe. It's like when they were talking about Jill Valentine, it's like, she's a demolitions expert. She drives the... Wolf pack thing, you know, it was this whole thing like, oh, I didn't know if this was a federal thing. Like, oh, hey, we uh, we lost 30 percent of our city. Someone call in the feds and then stars shows up at the city limits. But if it's if it's raccoons like SWAT group, then that that makes more sense because it's sound- it raccoon SWAT group, although that doesn't yeah. answer like why they are so well funded and equipped and have. Like, well, no, it, it, it does. If you think about it, because it's like it's not. It's not like Raccoon Village or Raccoon Town. It's Raccoon City. Like, right. the way it's drawn, it's like a oh, major... a lot of people. You have to picture it. It's, it's approximately like the size of Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's huge, which I really like. And the other thing is, you know, uh, Umbrella very well could be the primary employer, right? Like, I mean... Yeah, that, this, that is canonical. This used to happen, right? You'd get a very large corporation that shows up in a place that doesn't have any other super predators, and it starts building a city. And suddenly, like, we are the Umbrella Corporation. What do we sell? We sell whatever it is that the local people need. And then, you know, we create Raccoon City, which is completely innocuous. It could be anywhere. It could be on the East Coast, the West Coast, the middle of nowhere. It doesn't matter. And then suddenly <laughs> there are zombies everywhere. And our special, way too highly funded SWAT team is being sent in to deal with them. But that's only so that the federal government outside authorities don't step in. So it's one of these things where it's like it builds a really good antagonist by having protagonists who have to kind of figure out what's going on. So I, I actually mm-hmm. really like that about it from a right. plot I'll, point. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> see, yeah, it's got an OCP like RoboCop feel right. to it, which again is is mythology I'm more familiar with. So. So Wesker, yeah, Wesker's been in place. He's uh, putting things kind of in line for Umbrella, but he's uh, working at Stars. And what we get to uh, see in our first more evil Henry Peter Gyrick. That's what he looks <laughs> like. <laughs> right. In this first story, it's kind of like a uh, a detail of Bravo team's beginning and and kind of what happens there. We got Enrico Marini, Richard Aiken, Rebecca Chambers, which is a recurring character here. Uh, we saw Richard in the first story we were talking about. Right. Then. Uh, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chris Speyer, who is a sniper, I guess, and Kenneth J. Sullivan. So these are all members of Bravo team that we know to make it out. Of the, right. of the helicopter crash. And then we find out that Wesker sabotaged the helicopter. And like I said, I don't think he was intentionally trying to ground it. But then we find out later that supposedly Bravo team was like the warm-up meal for these zombies. Uh, that Umbrella was kind of anticipating. Uh, it sounded like Wesker just said, I made sure that they had a little engine trouble so they could delay them getting there or something like that. Or possibly so they wouldn't be, interfere with Umbrella's p- plans for Raccoon City. Either way. Wesker's a bad guy. That's what you can get out of this. And Bravo team, uh, yeah, you get an introduction to them, and two of them matter, and that's about it. It's basically, you know, telling like this is where they're starting the uh, retelling of Resident, the Resident Evil one story. Uh, then we get to go through a story called "Who Are These Guys," which I like this one. I thought this one was pretty neat we, because I barely remember this happening in the game. Uh, when you go into a room, there's a doctor sitting at a table, and he's a zombie, and you shoot him. Yeah, then um, you go read his stuff. Okay, so this is, yeah, this yeah. is it. Like, this those letters are pretty much uh, in-game stuff, you know, I mean, okay. like that kind of thing. They actually do a really good job with that. There are always, like, puzzles to solve if you read all five issues, and then people are like, oh, I had to do this to get this stupid diamond so I could open this door, which is right. an equally important part of the Resident Evil uh, franchise. Then we get to Dangerous Secrets. So the Stars team debrief on what happened at the mansion and finding the remaining members of Bravo team, or what's left of them. Wesker is finally revealed as the betrayer as he shot Enrico in the head, apparently, prior to these events. Umbrella is revealed to have been wanting to test the T-Virus soldiers against Bravo team. Chris Redfield winds up facing off with Wesker, but Wesker is killed by a massive beast called a tyrant. Chris escapes the tyrant, believing he killed it, and the mansion is set to self-destruct. But before he could leave, the tyrant returns, and Chris finally dispatches it with a rocket launcher, blows the thing to smithereens. The team confront Barry and his betrayal as well, where he explains he was blackmailed because they said they were going to harm his family. Uh, Now stars must prepare for Umbrella releasing the G-Virus. Barry and Rebecca head to Stars HQ while Jill and Chris head to Europe. It's European vacation time and possibly get over there, find out about the Umbrella headquarters in Europe. While Leon Kennedy is taking over Raccoon City and Chris's sister, Claire, believing her brother to be in danger, is actually headed to Raccoon City as well. Like this girl takes it upon herself to head right into there. Uh, And those two are the protagonists of Resident Evil 2. There's like two discs that come with it. One is the Leon disc, one is the Claire disc. They're similar, but it's not exactly the same. I like the Leon because he got a shotgun. They gave her like a crossbow thing. Fuck that, man. Give me a shotgun. (laughs) Right. Shotgun. But I mean, but Claire Redfield's really cool, too. Uh, And then our next one is Raccoon City, R.I.P. Things are turning bad in Raccoon City as the G-Virus is spreading fast, turning people into zombie-like creatures, attacking its residents. Ada Wong is in this one. Uh, She's trying to get some answers while Leon Kennedy has arrived he has arrived in raccoon city and that's how we end that issue is like leon standing in the streets a gun in each hand and he's blowing some zombies brains right out of their heads eyeballs are flying in this issue i'm happy um <laughs> it, 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 i love the gore i'll, I'll, I'll you know this is what you're not lukewarm 
Now, I'm not warm <laughs> about the gore. Not in the 90s, boy. No way. They're doing a great job of, of starting the, you know, they tell the Resident Evil 1 story. They get the Resident Evil 2 story uh, started, which it'll, it'll finish in Resident Evil 2, number two, which is funny because the logo of it is like the logo of the game Resident Evil 2. They just put like a hashtag in front of the two to, you know, to know that it's a number. Um, uh, Like you said, plenty of gore, plenty to look at. There's a nice little nods like this one has the trucker in it, right? Who like, uh, if you play Resident Evil 2, it starts out with this like cut scene and there's a trucker who gets bit. He's like crazy. Ah, why did he bite me? And like in this, there's like a trucker who's like, what's going on? And he gets bitten, you know, he's like, what the fuck? You couldn't ask for more Jim Lee cover. And another <laughs> thing we haven't gotten, you know, I mean, I love the Jim Lee cover. It says it right on the front, Jim Lee cover, in case you didn't know. You couldn't ask for more from, you know, to get something started. And another thing we haven't really talked about, too, is like this is also a, a Resident Evil magazine. There's interviews with people who worked on the game, who did different things, you know, different, different things for Capcom. And that's pretty neat. Another aspect that, you know, makes it cool if you're already into Resident Evil. But, yeah, I loved every bit of it because, you know, I'm a Jill Valentine, Mark. I love Leon Kennedy. I love Chris Redfield. It's fun to see all the debriefing. It was fun to see them like at the table working out all the stuff you worked out when you played the game. You're like, okay, so this happened and this happened and this happened. And god damn it, these motherfuckers. <laughs> and of course, anytime that you can solve a problem with an anti-tank missile, I'm in. Yes. I really, I really, really dig that. So there's really nothing to dislike about this whole t- this whole um uh issue, except for the fact that like it feels like two teams and there's just like it's not there's not enough experts on like the stars team for instance bladed weapon it could have been the guy from madison square garden for the carnage concert <laughs> he could have been their bladed weapons expert he's like, oh, he could have cut their heads off he could have done some stuff they didn't have a bladed weapons expert he could have done that for them Ah, oh. uh, copyright it, it, Marvel, though. You know jim lee couldn't get those rights to that guy apparently just, just, just put him in the background you know, and nobody will know. Like, 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 like Walt Simonson would sneak Clark Kent into shit. You know, oh, he's in. <laughs> it's, uh, but, uh, no, great. I really, I really, really like the issue. I think if you didn't know anything about Resident Evil, it also did a pretty good job of uh, catching you up on a very complicated world and making you excited to see what was coming next. The one note that I had, I sent to you guys already, and that's the one note about how you could play as Jill and Chris in the game. And as he's telling, as Chris is telling the story, he talks about how he rescues Jill from this cell and it tickled some stuff in the back of my brain. I'm like, did that happen? And then what I realized is that, Oh yeah, you could play as either of these characters. So one of them is going to be in the cell during the game. Right. So it, that's where the whole confusion comes in because, well, I say the confusion because they address it. Like, I, I don't know if they even needed to, to be honest, but right. if you're a game, if you're uh, into this game, you're probably like, wait a second now. Uh, because when Chris is telling the story, Jill is like, wait a second, I rescued you. And he's like, no time for that. Let me tell the rest of the story. <laughs> and then, I mean, it's a pretty clever way to address it. You know, I will I mean? agree. But it, it, it goes from one panel and then it gets brought up again uh, because Chris is like, Rebecca and I arm the mansion self-destruct system. And then she goes after springing Jill from her cell and Jill's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I love that. But, the, but I mean, that's cool, though. It's, it's their relationship. It's a good way to skip the question because other I, like when you when you read like Tekken uh, uh, manga or you look at like the Street Fighter comics, Mortal Kombat, like they have to tell you like, OK, 
Liu Kang won Mortal Kombat 1. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have to make this this happen canonically. Definitive, this way, yeah, they can just say, hey, however you saw it, that's how it happened. My favorite scene, the one that stuck with me, the one that I had to read a few times to make sure that I was getting it correct, was the uh, the guy who claims to be a journalist, and he runs into the Carlos bar, and the guy starts pouring him a drink, and then he's like, Hey guy, I don't know if you noticed, but there are zombies in the city and you should probably leave. <laughs> and the guy was like, what are you talking about? And then immediately after that, a bunch of zombies break through the window and the guy's got a shotgun and he's ready to go. And it's like, I love the idea that all of Raccoon City is ready to deal with zombies. They don't know why they're ready to deal with them, but the second they show up, everyone's got a gun in hand. Uh, I really appreciated that. And then well, guy, it's not so much zombies. I mean, this guy runs a bar in the Midwest. He better have a gun. They get some sure. big old ornery corn-fed guys in there that are really sure. big. You need a gun to make them leave, you know? Sure. <laughs> you ain't got to <laughs> yeah. shoot them. They just got to know you've got the gun. They just got to yeah. know you could. And when he runs out the back of the bar, he runs into a gun shop. So, yeah, I, 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 I think you're probably right. Which is also funny to me because, like, in there he's like, the guy who's shopping, he's like, let me get another round of uh, shotgun shells. And you're like, that's not how you order ammo. Like, around, like that would be one shotgun shell. I get that, like, they're referring to it differently. They're friends or whatever because he hands them a box. But I was taken aback by that. I was like, that is not how you buy bullets. He, there's a couple, there's some pieces of dialogue that set up the whole survival horror stuff uh, in this world of raccoon city give me another round of shotgun shells and the guy's like something strange is going on though i sold more today than rest of the year combined well when you run into these places oh yeah hey i'm in a gun shop but there's only like three or four bullets laying around there because that's all you can load your gun up with and that's all that's left again right. it's setting up that whole uh look out ladies and and i think there's also the zoos mentioned here uh yep. in that same shop yeah, later on yeah. that'll be a story right. in the anthology Another yep. story where like somebody does cool shit and then dies for no reason. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. I the gun store though is interesting because you have that scene in Resident Evil 2. Like at the very beginning, like the zombies crash into the gun store and you're like in there and like they bite the gun store owner or whatever. And if you you can just leave, you know, or whatever. But like if you fight them off, you can get a shotgun before you normally would. Oh so that's a, nice. That's a, that's a hot tip for anybody looking for some hot <laughs> 1998 game tips on this. <laughs> I did not play this game, but reading this book, I certainly want to, if for no other reason to know what the hell is going on. So mission accomplished. All right. Issue number two. First story is a new chapter of evil. Pretty much it's Claire and Leon who meet up, get separated, meet up again. Which happens all over the video game Resident Evil 2. Uh, they run into some characters. They run into Ada Wong in here. They run, in, they run into the Birkin family, which I think William is the guy who develops the T-virus. And now he's got the G-virus. Uh, and so does his wife. And his wife's like, I don't want you guys getting the G-virus. And they're like, what do you mean the G-virus? And Ada Wong is actually a, a double agent. She acts kind of innocent yeah. at the beginning. And then it turns out she's a spy trying to get the G-virus. There's some gunplay going on. Annette Birkin, which is William's wife, ends up getting killed. But before that, she's able to kill Ada. And boy, do we get an unearned death scene in there where Ada's like gets shot and falls over the railing. And yeah, Leon grabs her arm. And I can't remember what he says, but she's like, uh, you should have never cared about me. I'm nobody you should care about anyway. And then she like lets go and dies. Yep. Um, so I'm sure that's all in the game, too. 
I was going to say, I'm sure that's exactly what happens in the game. We also see Sherry uh, Martell. No, Birkin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sherry Birkin. He drops an elbow just, on Tyrant. Let's make sure you guys are awake. Uh, Sherry Birkin, which is William's daughter. And it's, just, it's just all over. It's a very long story. And just like you said, there's a bunch of stuff that's happening here that happens in Resident Evil 2. And it's been so long since I played that game. At the end of the, th- at the, end of the thing, they hop on a train and the place self-destructs and Claire, Leon, and Sherry all escape. <laughs> so, like, the government calls in a nuke on Raccoon City, right? Right. But, like, the problem is, is that dead people are coming back to life. But, like, what's going to cause more dead people than, like, big old nuke? This, I don't feel like this was thought out. Mutant Menagerie, the next story, which this one is the zoo. William Birkin infects himself with the G-Virus at the beginning of this, and he makes his way to the zoo and starts, like, infecting animals all over the place. And there's an employee that tries to stay alive during this whole thing. He's taking out these infected animals left and right. He battles most of the day, and he's finally like, oh, all the animals are dead. I want to go lay down get some rest. He's in a zoo radio room saying, hey, I took care of business. Goes to sleep and forgets about the fucking rats. The rats that are infected, and that's where we end the story. The rats are going to have their way with this uh, poor man. So he will be, he's dead. He did. He's dead. Dead. Lockdown. One of many of these anthology stories where it's a guy doing something cool and then in the end they just they die. And then Lockdown, which was an interesting story here. This is Barry, Barry Burton, the one we had talked about who was uh, blackmailed into helping uh, Wesker in the beginning. So Barry is having a hard time dealing with the traumatic events of Resident Evil 1, seeks help with the uh, with a psychiatrist. Unfortunately, ha- unfortunately, he has little time to address his issues when zombies begin attacking nearby. And now he races to, p- to put pieces of a bomb together and avoid run-ins with the infected. And that's kind of all this is. He escapes. He's fine, ladies and gentlemen. He jumps <laughs> off the building, lands in the pool. Lands in the pool. <laughs> while the building explodes yeah and it's felt very video gamey to me like i gotta yeah. run around i gotta get this part and i gotta get this part and i gotta put them together and i gotta blow this thing up and it's so weird that the doctor i can't remember who he runs into and the guy's like you gotta get these pieces for the bomb they're at xyz uh, these three coordinates and um and, but it very very much felt like a video game it's one of the places where they really show the the puzzle aspect of resident evil he had to do this thing to get this key that he had to fight like Jack giant cockroaches yeah. and like all this fucking shit, you know, because there was another piece in there and he had to get all these pieces together to unlock this thing, to do this other thing. So he can finally put the bomb together and explode. just like resident evil. It's wild. Right. In fact, I told Emily today about that. She goes, I didn't know that was part of it. She goes, I should play those games. I like puzzles. Yeah, I like there's... puzzles and zombies. Where, where have I been? I was like, yeah, where have you been? <laughs> <laughs> That's issue two right there. There's our, there's our three, our three stories. I liked that in these stories, they spend a good amount of time escalating the threats. It's not just zombies. It's not just what we'll see in The Walking Dead, where every once in a while you encounter like a staggering corpse here. And you guys mentioned this, like infected zoo animals. It's things with giant eyeballs. It's cockroaches, rats, alligators, um, you know, all this big like stuff. And I really like the idea that Resident Evil, Biohazard, whatever you're going to call it, said, okay, we're not happy with just one thing. Like, we're going to make sure you have no idea what's going to happen. So you are constantly terrified. And I feel like, you know, if the comics are any indication of how the games were, it makes sense that we're still talking about this all these years later. And I, I really appreciated that. Because there was a lot of imagination on display. And again, as someone who hadn't played the games, this made me want to go, oh, okay, I think I, I think I definitely would have enjoyed this back in the day. I might still enjoy it now. 
one of the most memorable jump scares I remember from the first, I think it's from the first game, is the the dogs jumping through the window. That is in, that's burnt in my brain because of how scared I was when that happened. You are not expecting it whatsoever. You're walking down the hall. You're like, la-di-da, holy shit. Whoosh, here come these dogs through this window. And, you know, the kind of support what you're saying there, Derry. They're using these other vehicles for this virus and it's frightening and in some in some ways so and also uh, their own research like they did like like they didn't expose something to like the g or t virus and it became the liquor they fucking made the liquor you know <laughs> i mean like they also are just fucking around doing this their own weird shit and i like the jump scare aspect too of the games uh, my favorite was in resident evil 2 where if you got too close to like the boarded up buildings a bunch of arms would just reach out and grab you it didn't like take any like of your energy or anything but like we like oh shit <laughs> man yeah I, I mean out of these three stories i think the one that i liked the most was actually the one about the zoo guy i hate i mean it was a sad ending but it was like i, I really liked getting outside of the universe and seeing what's happening elsewhere yeah. that's probably why uh we're not you know i'm dealing with a character that i don't know anything about this guy's just got to try and survive and damn he's doing a good job doing it right oh man and I think, you know, Resident Evil sometimes, you know, Ada Wong is buried to this doctor and the Birkins are together and the Redfields and then there becomes more and more connections. It becomes somewhat of a, you know, a, I don't know, a very like hyper connected universe between the characters. It's nice to see that, you know, you know, everybody who everybody who gets affected by the zombies, they can't be an umbrella employee or in stars. And so it's oh. nice when you see somebody else, you know, not die, but, you know, have to deal with it because, you know, you, then you can kind of put yourself in those shoes. I have right. a question for you, Jesse, though. How do you think Cyberforce would have handled this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know what? I, I, I wonder, one of those guys could probably be a, a Umbrella Project, to be honest. <laughs> that, would be <laughs> uh, that would be Ripclaw, probably. Yeah. If you yeah. told me that Cyber Data was an umbrella subsidiary, I would totally <laughs> go for that. <laughs> yeah, I would believe you. Oh man. I guess a good issue. It wraps up the uh, Resident Evil 2 storyline for the most part, right? Like or is it some in re- it is it some in three? I can't remember. But like I just I just remember mostly just enjoying Claire and Leon getting together, then being separated, then being together and being separate happens again and again in the game. I recently read uh, an adaptation of Dawn of the Dead, and it did not work. But this really worked. Like, scene where he had to kill the cop that he said he was going to save, and the cop had begged him to kill him, begged Leon to kill him. He's like, look, I'm just going to be a zombie. Kill me. He's like, no, I'll save you. And then he has to kill him anyway. Like, that's from the game. And to see it played out, it just, it was cool to have those feelings in a different way, I guess. You know, to see it. Uh, it almost felt more hurtful to read it and view it in the comic book than it did when it happened in the game. All I can say about each one of these things is, is they really just deliver. If you want to just skim through these and enjoy some solid art with, uh, you know, a lot of gore, great. If you want to read and get the minutia of Umbrella and, like, I'm sure if you're Resident Evil head, there's a lot of cool shit in here. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, this is canon or whatever. Kind of like how, you know, the only Watchmen shit Alan Moore ever did besides Watchmen itself was stuff for uh, Mayfair Games for the Watchmen uh, RPG stuff. So that's like, oh, if you're into Watchmen, you got to learn that because, you know, it's it's canonical. It's what happened according to the creator. So I think there's a lot of that here, too, if you're just a super Resident Evil fan it, it, across the whole thing. But Resident, but, but issue two 
from that logo to the end really feels like it. I didn't like the therapy story, to be honest with you. I didn't dislike it, but it just, it felt like, you know, it felt like straight to DVD Die Hard. But I, but like, I think you're right though. The zoo story is probably the best. I was waiting for the, what was his name? Barry Burton? Is that his name? Barry Burton. I was waiting for it to be like all in his head. And boy, with that, it got dark. Like he was killing people, accident, you know, thinking they were all zombies. And uh, turns out it was all in his head or something. And he was that fucked up. But uh, yeah. th- they didn't go that route. Issue three, I'll just read the inside cover. And yeah. Dean, you can jump off of here uh, with, with whatever you have, you know, for these issues. Wolf Hunt, we already talked about it. Uh, Raccoon City College is terrorized by a shadowy killer. <laughs> Can Jill Valentine? <laughs> Can Jill Valentine save the day? Danger Island. Now I was trying to remember this one. Paradise turns into a hellish nightmare yeah, when the G virus like inf- goes on vacation, and then it turns out that like it's all like an umbrella front. They fight their way out, and then they get to the radio, and they radio. Um, you know, they were, oh, they radio yes. for help, and then Umbrella shows up and kills them. Like, oh, uh, that's our guy. Blah, blah, blah. Bye. <laughs> and then we'll, it's, I, I like these stories, but they, but like the zoo guy and this guy, it's all a very similar ending. I am right, right. I mean, they're going. To, yeah, it's uh, Umbrella wins out. They got. I guess they got to have a story that Umbrella wins out in the end. And then we got our first part of the European vacation tour, where part one of this continuous story, Chris Berry and Jill head to Europe in search of Umbrella HQ. That's what it says. Okay. So well, now I, I, maybe they're like they're on the plane and they have to kill a bunch of zombies on the plane and then they land the plane and it's yes. just like snakes on a plane but zombies. Right. So that's issue three, and the the, the hijinks continue uh, in issues four and five. I think uh, that uh, the best part, honestly, is is the adaptation of one and two. I like these other stories, but I think they're more for people who are like super Resident Evil heads. I'm uh, maybe a notch or two below that. So I really like learning more about the main characters as far as that goes. I like the zoo story, but like a lot of these stories just get really repetitive. The badass guys do badass things like Chris Redfield. Like you can drop a nuke in his like, you know, fruit of the looms. It's not going to matter. He's going to be fine. <laughs> On the other hand, the people who, like, scratch and claw to kill, like, one zombie, Umbrella shows up, cuts their head off with, like, a Technolax. You know, so, like, I mean, those aren't real examples. But the whole series is worth a read. I honestly think that if you like Resident Evil or you like Wildstorm, you like that type of production, you like that type of art, you like that type of feel, really great stuff. Another great Jim Lee cover on number three. So, I mean, there's lots of reasons to get this, uh, whether you're into Resident Evil or not. It's totally, totally uh, better if you're into Resident Evil. But what I do think, and Derry, you kind of attested to this, what it really does, though, well, is if you weren't, I think it worked to get you kind of interested in it. I like three because I like this story with uh, Leslie, the redhead, uh, who is trapped on this island with the love of her life and a series of uh, ridiculous movie monster right. creatures. Like this <laughs> this feels like it could have had a uh, spinoff potential. I particularly like the giant Venus flytrap. Like I, I was very much involved in their story. And then the 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 other thing I like, which was in the other issues as well, is the interviews. You know, you, we mentioned before that this was this was a magazine, and today we would call all this extraneous stuff back matter. But like back in the day, like this was a big deal. Like it's it's oh right. you know, we're interviewing the producers. We've got some behind the scenes shots. <laughs> I don't know if you guys read this, but some of the answers given to these interview questions are delightful. It's it's like, uh, hey, did you play video games growing up? 
Uh, no, I played outside and I started playing right. games when I was older. And it's, <laughs> it's you know, again, I don't know if it's translation or whatnot, but a lot of the answers come across like, who are you? How did you get in this building? Why are you, why are you even allowed to interview me? And I'm sure that's absolutely not the case. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed reading these uh, through the lens of them almost being hostile. And then in, in issue three, they randomly have like readers art gallery which I guess are like people who played Resident Evil, mostly right, yeah. kids. It looks like yes. should not have been playing Resident Evil right. <laughs> fan art and sent it in. And Lee and his staff were like, oh, yeah, we are absolutely no questions asked uh, uh, reproducing this at the smallest possible pixelation. So I oh, I really appreciated that. Art by Brian. Uh, I, can't, I can't even see the rest of his last name here. But anyway, I mean, it legitimately looks like my eight-year-old son drew this picture of a zombie getting an arrow through his head, and he's got his thumb up like this. <laughs> number one. He's number one. Uh, yep, kid. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, and the they're... one to the left of that is drawn on literally lined loose-leaf paper like this. <laughs> Yeah, no, this this art is is fine, is great. I'm I'm happy it saw print. Believe me, if I were this kid, I would have been over the moon to see to see my art get printed. It's just I very obvious. Yeah, exactly. It's just very obvious that this is these are like little kids <laughs> who are like playing this game, made this art and mailed it in, and Jim Lee was or, or whoever the editor was was like, oh, cool, two more pages of content. Let's <laughs> let's throw that in. It's just one of those things where. I feel like it was very much a product of its times. I don't know if you would get that today, but I, I appreciated it. Yeah, well, I was going yeah. to do a Hero Illustrated today with Emily, and we talked. I showed her like the envelope part, and I was like, yeah, I don't think they really do that anymore. Like, There's nowhere to do it. Yeah, but now, I, I mean, if you're a really good artist and you, I don't know, you tag Rob Liefeld or Todd McFarlane on Instagram, you you might get a book out of it. I think that's Sure, how sure, it's, sure. It's different. No, I'm, not, I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not being like, these kids don't know anything. But I'm like, this was a neat like To me, this was a super cool thing. And it's just not a thing anymore. Yeah, you ain't kidding. Every time Wizard would have one of those like, hey, create your own hero and send it in. I took that very seriously. You know, I, yeah. I sat down and I was like, do I have it? Do I have the next Spider-Man? I did not. Spoilers. But, uh, you know, really thought about it. I did, but I didn't want to sell out. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds like you. <laughs> well, Derry, if, if anything, I'm glad you got to experience a little bit of the Resident Evil universe. I do hope you have the chance. If not, I mean, that's what YouTube's for anymore. If you don't want to play the game, you don't want to go and buy it, watch somebody play it. And that's uh, that's what YouTube is there for nowadays. I, I realize that, man, there's so many games I want to play. Do I want to yeah. play them or do I want to watch somebody play them? And trust me, the latter seems to speak to me a little bit more for some reason. And I think it's just because I'd rather eat and watch somebody. Yeah. <laughs> well, also, in- like, if you want to, like, listen, when I, when I, if I play Mega Man for like two weeks straight, I get to be pretty good at it. It's pretty frustrating those two weeks. Right. Maybe I'll just watch somebody be good at it. Yep, yep. I don't have the time to, you know, get good at it. So I hope everybody had a good time listening to us uh, discuss this set of comics we'll be talking to you pretty soon here but before we go we got plugs and uh the first thing i want to do is turn it over to dean compton dean compton will tell us all about the unspoken decade well we're at the unspoken there's always great articles up there uh courtesy of semi fan find us on facebook we've been sharing a lot of stuff there and uh you should go to the the twitter i have been uh going through the marvel cards i went through 1990 and uh, I'm about to start on 91. I've done a few 91s. Uh, I also did the 94s. 
and I'm just kind of going through them and posting uh, what, what what I hope are pithy comments about them. But uh, we'll see. Pithy, yeah, it's a pretty good word. I'm on Downton fucking Abbey over here. But I'm, uh, <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, what I hope are good comments, having a lot of fun. They 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 trigger a lot of memories for people. Really great time. So business over there at Unspoken Decade. Look, if you want to check out some previous podcasts right here on the Source Material Comics feed. Uh, the 29th, it looks like Batman and Punisher is happening. Lake of Fire. It's going to be a uh, submission to the Superblog team up. That's going to be myself and Evan Bevins. We have it on the schedule. Lake of Fire. <laughs> Dean Compton is upset. That's right. As Bats and Punisher coming together, Lake of Fire. Superblog team up goes to hell. We're, we're tying it in there. Oh, nice. The 25th, Sensational She-Hulk number 14 through 17, The Cosmic Squish Principle. You want to talk about some Steve Gerber being silly and Sensational She-Hulk? That was entertainment. And we'll be talking, and that's going to be in the archive. You should be able to check that out for the Source Material Comics podcast. But listen, Unspoken Issues had one of the biggest projects that has ever happened on the Unspoken Issues podcast, and that is Unity. Me... Derry, Dean, we got together. We did it, folks. 18 chapters of Unity. It's out there. Do you not know about Bloodshot? Well, guess what? We're not going to talk about him too much in there. But... <laughs> the one guy in Dian's history that's not in it. <laughs> Swerve. Don't get too excited. Don't get either. <laughs> you guys love bloodshot too fucking bad <laughs> uh no listen the valiant universe it's on display there unity's chapter one through 18 go find that it's out there it dropped the uh, third second week of october that's it i'm done with plugs we need to get out of here because we got to do a little bit of celebrating for dean compton for Derry wade i'm jesse starcher we're going to get out of here have a good one bye-bye thanks for joining us Unspoken Issues is part of the UnspokenDecade.com, the home for 90s comics, blogs, and podcasts. Unspoken Issues also has a Facebook group you can join if you are interested. Just search the Unspoken Issues podcast and request to join. All of this would not be possible without W2Mnet.com and the Rattelich and Broadcasting Network, so make sure to seek them out for more podcasts. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please feel free to share, and we look forward to entertaining you again soon. (laughs) 